Good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. Um, and as uh, you guys came in, I actually pinched a bunch of you. And, and uh, maybe you were wondering why I did that. I'm going to tell you in a few minutes. But to start out, I'm uh, 21 years old, standing on a street corner. A bunch of guys walk by. We say hi to them coming by. Last one in line just decides to come up and punch me in the face. What do you do? Right? You have that neighbor of the different political view as yours who is just kind of out to get you. What do you do? I'm a young businessman doing a job, and uh, at the end, a fellow believer stiffs me $15,000. What do you do? You have that person at work that's just always out to get you. What do you do? You're in high school, and that girl is spreading rumors about you, just trying to change how everybody views you. What, what do you do? Or a boy, guys do it too. Go down the list. Our government removes religious freedom and, and organizes against individual believers and churches in general. What do you do? Guess what? We're not the first generation to have to ask these questions. We're, we're not the first generation to live in a, a dark society getting darker. In fact, as dark as our culture is, it's it's pretty light compared to what many have been through history and what the Roman world was when this was all written. So this is very relevant to us. So our question is, how is a faithful Jesus follower to live in a society full of evil and opposition? You know, I've heard lately uh, Christians talking, man, we, Nevada is turning into California. We need to move to Tennessee or Texas or Idaho. We need to go there. And I know some of you are moving to those places, and, and it's not because... I don't want you to go, I'm saying this. Those I know that are going are going for good reasons. But I've heard these Christians say, it's getting so dark and evil. We need to go places where people agree with us. In fact, in Idaho, there is a, um, I don't know what it is, a town, whatever, and there's a real estate firm um, marketing to conservatives. And, and I think it's something like Flee the City. And it's a, a real estate firm for people with brains, something like that. So, I mean, it's very targeted, like, come to where everybody agrees with you. Now, my challenge to Christians is if we're leaving to get away from this darkness, are we going to send missions trips back to Nevada? Right? I mean, if we're going to go there because this is so dark and surround ourselves with people just like us, well, then we're going to have to send missionaries back to Nevada where right now we're, what, 95% unchurched in this area. So what are we to do? Are we to run away? How are we to respond? Well, we're in Romans 12, so turn there. In Romans 12, we've already seen a shift from the doctrine and theology part of Romans, right? Lots of deep, awesome truth. Now we transition to the application. What should that do to us? And Romans 12, 1 and 2 really kind of set the stage for chapter 12, but also the rest of the book of Romans. And so I'm going to read those again. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So that's what begins it, right? We are the walking dead. We're living sacrifices. We have died to self. We've been united to Jesus, again, in baptism. This is the symbol that we're doing. Died with Christ, buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. We're given the Holy Spirit, 
and, and something happens. And then we enter this process called sanctification where we are transformed into Jesus' image, transformed through the Holy Spirit, his word, fellow believers, the community. God changes us. And so his first instruction is recognize that you're dead. Give yourself fully to God because he's already given you everything. And then don't conform to the world. And the week we looked at just those two verses, we realized the American church, Christians in general, look just like the world. The stats are horrible when it comes to anything from divorce, abortion. I mean, all these things, the church, those who claim to be believers look pretty much just like the world. And he says, do not conform, but look different. And so last week was the first application of that principle. How do we live with fellow believers? And it came down to this. You are made on purpose for a purpose. So use your gifting and abilities to bless the rest of the church, fellow believers. That was last week. This week, there's a little bit of a transition which looks like it's with those outside the church. More specifically, it's our opponents, our, it's our oppressors, it's our enemies, it's those coming against us. How do, we, how do we live, how do we respond to those people? So look at Romans 12. We're going to read verses 14 to 21. And today what we're going to do is we're not really going to go verse by verse. We're going to read it all and then kind of deal with it all. Because he says the same thing different ways throughout it. It's just kind of the staccato burst of instructions. So Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for these words. Um, Holy Spirit, I ask for you to uh, take these words and put them in our mind and then in our heart. God, that as we fall deeper in love with you, we would be transformed into your image and we would live your way and you would uh, give us that abundant life of, of love, peace, joy, hope, all of that within us, and then use us in our community. God, I pray for our families. God, that, that we would take even these truths to heart within our families and that you would give us healthy parents, healthy marriages. God, that we can be places of joy and light that bring that to the rest of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So, how is a faithful Jesus follower to live in a society full of evil and opposition? That's the question. Now, this one is kind of tough because he clearly has been talking about fellow believers up until verse 13. Here's how you are to act with one another. And then there's not much transition. And he starts talking about oppressors and evil and those things. So in general, I think he's talking about those outside, right? We see the wrath of God referred to. Believers do not experience the wrath of God because it's already been doled out on Jesus. So we get forgiveness. And I struggle with this because my greatest opposition in life has often been from fellow believers, <laughs> from those within the church. So the concept, though, is the same. Right? As we're going to see, this actually can apply within our own families. So there's a lot of oppression outside and more and more coming, it looks like. 
but there's also sometimes oppression from fellow believers. And so the truths apply to all. And here's your first point. We see it throughout. When persecuted, respond with blessing. We could just end it right there. <laughs> when persecuted, respond with blessing. So as you guys came in, I, I was doing some pinching, right? And some of you were like, what? and just walk on, right? Some of you just kind of got this look. And, you know, one of you failed the test. Only one, and it was Pete. I pinched Pete, and Pete got me back like, right? Everybody else passed the test except for Pete. My, my test was, how would you respond when unjustly treated? I, I mean, that's what we're looking at, right? Um, don't learn from Pete. <laughs> because that's the world's mold, right? Going back to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed. The world says, get back. The world says, get right. And I'm joking with Pete. We're friends, and, you know, that was okay. But, but, but the world would say right? You get yours. Get justice. Get those things. But who is our example? Jesus. Remember Jesus? When Jesus went to the cross, what did he pray? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Have you ever had a crown of thorns stuck on your head? You ever been beaten with a whip that had bone and and glass on the end that just ripped into your skin? And then people put a blindfold on you and punch you and say, prophesy who hit you and then nail it. That's what he went through and he did not retaliate. Right? Instead, he prayed for those killing him. Anyone against you? Again, it could be a neighbor. It could be a coworker. It could be a boss. It could be a sibling. I mean, how often do we hear this from our kids? They started it, right? <laughs> Why'd you hit her? Well, because she hit me. Oh, that makes a lot of sense, right? You know, uh, here's our example in verse 20. He says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. So if we want to respond with blessing, there's a practical example. Practically provide for the needs of your oppressors when possible. It's weird. It's simple. But it's true. Right? And we have many examples through history. Right? Missionaries who are killed by a tribe, murdered, right, with spears and arrows. Their wives take up the mantle and go and see many in that tribe saved, even some of those who did the murdering. They responded with blessing to a great evil. Uh, A pastor in India tied to a tree watched his wife molested by five men. Later, when they were in need, they took food to those homes. And some of those guys ended up being converted from Islam to Christianity. Hopefully our examples aren't that extreme. But those are real extremes of people being oppressed and responding with blessing. Again, you know, kids in school, right? School can be a rough place. Is there somebody out to get you? What if you responded with blessing instead? Actually cared about them. Again, remember, we are the walking dead. We are united to God. And so here's the picture that came to me this morning, and it's kind of silly. But why is it when people come against us, we, we just need to respond. We need to lash back. We need to get back, whatever. Uh, I think it's like we have this cup. And, and, and the cup, every time somebody comes against us or does something, it feels like they take something out of the cup. And we need to refill our cup by getting justice. Instead, what if God filled our cup? Because he does. 
right? Again, the respond to the mercies of God, Romans 12.1. We get everything we need from him, and that cup overflows. I think there's songs and stuff about that, right? That cup overflows, so then nobody else can really take from our cup because God is filling it up, and, and we are then free to just give love back. There's so much freedom in that, that when, when people that come against us can't really take anything from us because we get it all from God, there is a lot of freedom and beauty in that. Remember what Jesus said. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You look at verse 15. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Again, I find this verse weird. Tucked in here, right? The verse on either side is about people against you and oppressing you. And then this one is right in the middle. So it looks, again, like the context here is not healthy relationships with believers, but with our oppressors. How can you empathize with your oppressors? Again, it, it could be a, a neighbor. Yeah, I mean, I've heard plenty of those stories. A, a coworker, somebody like that. You look for opportunities to, to share their life a little bit, to care about them, right? M maybe one of them gets pregnant. You give them a gift. This is somebody coming against you, and you celebrate a joy in their life. They get a promotion. You celebrate that with them. Uh, a tragedy happens. You bring them a meal. I mean, look at how that breaks down. God's way is so different. We have a word for that. It's called empathy. And we could say it this way. Find common ground with those set against you. Find common ground. This is so active, not passive. Right? We can have several responses. Oh, everything's against us. Whatever. Let's flee to Florida or wherever. is going to be better. Or we could just grin and bear it. But here, God is kind of giving us instruction through Paul, actually be active with your oppressors. Be active to bless every chance you get, to provide, find common ground. Weep when they weep, actually care about them. And now we see more example, verse 16. It says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This verse is really, really helpful right now. And this one's tough a, a little bit because what if we are wise? You know, what if we're studying God's word and, and we do have some wisdom and whatever? What he's talking about here is that, that know-it-all person, right? Did you know that, by the way, some of your opinions, they might be wrong? I, I'm seriously, have you ever thought about that? Like, your opinion of the vaccine, whichever side, you might be wrong, right? Your opinion on whatever it is, you could be wrong. And so here he's saying, do not be wise in your own sight. It's the person, I, I know, you know, I have all the answers and nobody can teach me. And our culture right now is really bad with this. And Christians are just jumping right in, right? Instead, we just surround ourselves with people who think like us. We go to the websites that just confirm the things we want to believe. We read the blogs or whatever, the things that we, and then we're so smart because we just surrounded ourselves with the people that think just like us. And then here's the other side with a different opinion. And so we just shout at them, right? Whoever's the, the loudest, their opinion must be right or the most aggressive, whatever it is. Now, God here, it, this is so different. And this is, it doesn't feel fun, honestly. So maybe actually listen to those on the other side. Consider you might be wrong. But then we have to go to what is our source for truth, and our source is clearly Scripture. Ultimately, we must let God's Word be the source of truth and wisdom. We must. 
And where God's word doesn't address something, we handle those things with grace. I had somebody recently um, I was talking to, and they said, yeah, we're looking for a church as common ground conservative. I said, um, we're not political. We, we follow the Bible. So wherever, you know, the Bible teaches something, that's what we're going to teach. So are we going to talk about abortion? Absolutely. Is that probably the greatest evil in our society today? Yes. Right? Are we going to talk about marriage as one man, one woman? Yeah, we are. Because that's clear stuff in, in Scripture, and that would maybe align with conservative. But are we going to talk about voter fraud and securing border, stuff like that? The Bible doesn't really talk about those things. I said, actually, we talk more about how you are to respond to people who think differently than you. How we are to live with one another, that's where we're going to go more and more. So are we conservative? No, we're going to stick with whatever the Bible says. You know, we're not committed to an ideology outside of Scripture. Again, so the Bible is what guides our wisdom, and then we communicate that truth with love and with peace, right? Now look at verse 17. It says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Remember when mom said two wrongs don't make a right? She was right. <laughs> she was. Two wrongs don't make a right, right? We don't get justice. It's not up to us, dads. Do you teach your sons that when they get hit, to hit back and harder? Seriously. Do, do we teach nobody comes against you, right? If somebody comes against you, you get them. That's not strength. Do you know what a greater strength is? A greater strength is getting hit and not responding. A greater strength is getting hit and responding with, with love and blessing. Again, like Jesus. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. I mean, imagine an eight-year-old. God, forgive him. He doesn't know what he just did, right? right? But there, the Bible calls that meekness, not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. It's like a horse, you know, and you picture a six-year-old girl on this big, giant, 2,000-pound animal with all this strength, and she can control it. That's meekness, strength under control. That's what we're looking at here. We don't respond evil to evil, right? We can take these things. There's often greater strength, and not just physical, but whatever it is. If somebody coming against you, the strength is faith in God and not responding. It's called self-control. It can be really, really hard. I lost my spot. There it is. <laughs> um, so we, we don't get back. Uh, side note, does that mean Christians are pacifists? Right? It's not addressed here, but it's one of those questions that come up. Okay, we don't respond evil for evil. We let God get vengeance. So what do we, are we pacifists? No. Paul talks sometimes about and makes a comparison of Christians with soldiers. Right? So is it okay to be in the army? Absolutely. Police officers, all those things, we are not pacifists. And Christians, again, like I said, we're not the first generation to deal with these things. Christians have thought about this and debated this for 2,000 years, and I've come up with what's called just war theory. You realize that came from Christian thinkers. That's not an American thing. A Christian thinker, just war theory, which really is applicable, which means if somebody is, if there's an aggressor coming against, and you must defend, that is just war. That is fair right now, Russia, Ukraine. Perfect example. Russia is the aggressor. Ukraine, it is just for them to defend themselves and for people to come in aid to, for them to defend them. That is, is just and fair. Again, kids in school, whatever, is some other kid getting beat up? That is a just time to, to in, get in there and do something about it, right? So just war theory says if somebody is being op oppressed by an aggressor, 
That's when we can and sometimes should do something about it. But let's be honest with our context in life. Most of the time, that's not the case. Be, let's be honest. Most of the time, when, when somebody's coming against us, it's not a life or death thing. It's not a big thing. And we can respond with blessing. We don't have to retaliate. Probably 99.99% of the time. And here's the big point. Verse 18. It says, as if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Here's what that means. God wants us to be people who do not love a fight. God wants us to be people who do not love a fight. We are free to not fight back. We are free to not enjoy conflict and drama. You ever known somebody who just likes drama and conflict? You know, someone who just likes to poke the bear and cre create some controversy? This is really applicable. Again, I want to move the application for this, not just to those outside, but now how about within? How about within our families? Think about your marriage. What if when your spouse came at you, you just responded with love and blessing? Now, don't be a jerk about it, right? We can do that. But, but what if they yell and you don't yell back? You know, maybe you've heard that. It takes two to tango. You know, it's kind of hard to tango by yourself. One person starts the fight. The other one doesn't respond. That pretty much de-escalates whatever situation. In a marriage, in a family, outside, whatever it is, when you don't respond, it often takes away whatever was there. So this, we recently bought a Prius, don't judge us. Um, well, because we drive so much and gas prices are doing this, and so 48 miles a gallon sounds pretty good. Um, so we got this tiny little thing. To get it to go, you, you have to do this and then jump in real quick and yeah. Um, but because this little, we're not used to these things, uh, Callie decided to pull over the other day in a ditch, um, and it doesn't go very well in sand. Um, so she was on her way somewhere. I couldn't help her. I was, she had to walk a good half a mile home with a couple little boys with her. So she walks all the way back home, gets a different vehicle, come. Later that night, we get, you know, the, the, the American car, right, the big expedition with a winch on the front, right? So we get that one that gets 10 miles a gallon. We pull down there and get the winch, hook it on the front, you know, and just start pulling it out. And, and uh, I'm frustrated. She's the one that walked a half mile, right? Not me. I just drove the thing. To, yeah, anyway, I'm frustrated. She's turning the wheel the wrong way. And I'm yelling, turn the wheel. The other. I'm just being kind of mean. You know, she's nodding her head. Um, <laughs> I had no reason to be impatient, but, but I was. And she just responded very kindly and gently. And you know what? That was kind of, just her response was a reprimand against me. She could have responded, you knucklehead, just speak, not, whatever. And that would have been just and fair, but she didn't respond that way. And that's just, you know, a simple little thing of, of how you don't respond and it de-escalates. But here's another truth we see in here. We're given a why motive that is confusing. 19 and 20. It says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. If you leave retaliation to God, your oppressors will get what's coming to them. That feels weird. Doesn't it? I, I, I mean, again, Jesus... Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, right? God desires none to be lost, but for all to come to repentance. 
So hopefully one of our great motivation is love for the other person, that through our kindness and response, maybe they will find repentance and find life in Christ. But here there's actually another motive, and this one I've struggled with. In fact, I've often just skimmed over this verse, but now I have to teach on it, and so I had to really get into it. I can't just skip over it. But by doing good to your oppressors, you heap burning coals on, on their head. I said, so wait, that is being kind with evil motives. That's what it looks like. I'm going to be good so that you get what's coming to you. You know, you're going to feel bad. That's not what it means. So I'm glad I got to study it because that's not what it means. What it really means is the burning coals, right? So you respond with blessing. You leave vengeance to God because he sees and he cares, right? And so justice is coming maybe in this life, maybe in the next, but God will do it better than you. And so let him. And here you respond to blessing it may heat burning coals in their head, meaning it, it might add to their judgment. Maybe they will repent and find mercy. That's better. But if they don't, your kindness to them and their continue to come after you actually increases their guilt. And so that's, that's the heaping burning coals that increases their guilt and then their, their punishment later. Our motivation here isn't we want to add to their punishment. Our motivation here is we let God deal with it. That's the point. God can do it. God can show mercy when he wants. Again, this whole section is our response to God's mercy to us, right? Romans 12, 1. Beloved, remember God's mercy to you, so now live this way. This is so applicable to us. We've been shown mercy, so we show mercy, and we trust God with it. Do not conform to the world. This is a heart test. This is. When someone comes against you, again, often it is going to be within our family, what it, a heart test, how do you respond? What's your knee jerk? Is it get back? Is it get mad? Is it get even? You read that thing online and you just got to post something back. Maybe social media isn't the best place for us to be doing those things. But if you do, maybe it's what it says here, do what is honorable inside of all, right? That you respond with kindness and love and blessing that others see that is honorable and right and gives glory to God. What if we actually live this way? Here's our final point. Sum it all up. This is really an easy passage to understand. But verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God's will is that you always respond to evil with good. Romans 12, 1 and 2, again, that sets up the whole section. We give ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. We let him transform us. Why? At the end of verse 2, so that by testing we will prove what the will of God is. Here's the will of God when somebody comes against you, respond with blessing. Here's the will of God for you. Don't ever retaliate within a marriage, right? Your spouse comes at you. What's God's will? Respond with love and blessing every single time. That's God's, you wanna know God's will? You wanna do it? Very simple, right there. How might this be a, a, a cup of cold water on a hot day to our nation right now? What if every believer did this? Now, we can't control every believer, but what if all of us did this? What would it do to our marriages? What, it, what would it do to our work situations? What would it do to our neighborhoods? I mean, for real, what if we went out of our way to bless those who are against us? Now, some of you may be sitting here like, I don't have any enemies. Excellent. As much as it belongs to you, you know, be at peace. As much as it's up to you, be at peace with all people. But maybe you do have somebody. Maybe there's a name in your head right now. And you're like, I don't want to go be nice to that person. Well, you have to. 
That's our application. No, you don't have, I mean, I'm not going to check up on you. But, but maybe that's God's application for you. You've got that person, and maybe this week your thing is, I'm going to go out of my way to bless them. And maybe you already know how to do that. But again, I, I just want to look at here. This is the application. This is our hearts. Who are we as God's people? Are we conformed to the world, or are we letting him transform us? A lot of times this is harder, but it brings the greatest peace and joy in our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, I do thank you, God, that your word is so clear on so many things, that if we give ourselves to you, if we set that first piece that we are yours and not our own, and we want you to change us, God, you give us the instruction. Uh, so often we come to your word and we open it and we say, I don't like that. But yet, but yet, if we submit to you, to your spirit, if we submit to your word, it is so much better for us. God, I pray for peace. God, I pray that every person in this room would be a bringer of peace. All those watching online would be a bringer of peace. God, if in the last couple months we have been the aggressor, we have responded, God, give us the person. Bring up that name that maybe we need to apologize. Maybe we need to go rectify a situation. God, and show us ways to bless. God, we love you and we thank you that we have the freedom to do this because you have given us everything. In your name, amen.